dogs make the best companions for humans, this podcast aims to help make humans better companions for their dogs. Welcome to the Baru Podcast, a modern lifestyle podcast for dogs and their people. I'm your host, Charlotte Bain. I've been caring for other people's dogs for more than 15 years. And while I've learned a lot in my career, I definitely don't know it all. So I've collected an ever-evolving roster of amazing dog people, and I learn new things from them all the time. In this episode, I chat cannabis with integrative veterinary oncologist, Dr. Trina Hazah. She's the co-founder of the Nonprofit Veterinary Cannabis Society, which helps build awareness around the benefits of cannabis for our pets. She also launched Green Nile Cannabis Consulting to help take the confusion out of cannabis medicine for us pet parents. We chat about the benefits of cannabis for pets with a myriad of issues such as cancer, seizures, and even joint disease. And why with so many products on the market right now, it is super important to do your research to help find a reputable and certified company. We also chat about the science is finally catching up to the benefits of cannabis in veterinary medicine. So let's jump to the chat. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm good. Are you at home? I'm at home. Yeah. Can you tell? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really nice. I like the background. It's like very like Zen. Yeah, I did an interview. My first actual interview that I did for the podcast, the trainer that I was speaking to, had she was sitting on her floor with the back with her couch behind her. And I was like, that's a nice little like contrast. And it's like cozy and comfortable to sit on the floor. It may not be professional, but it's grounding and nice. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's like, I mean, Zoom has allowed us to not be professional it's in true. so many aspects. Like, you know what I mean? Most of us are wearing like shorts or nothing under our shirts. <laughs> sit down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think it's like. I do. All bets are off now. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's like, I think it's more about what the person brings than like, which is really good. I think society needed that. Right. Because there was all this superficial fluff. And I think it's like, well, what, what is their intention? What do they bring? Like that should be what's most important anyway. You know, if someone's feeling comfortable and grounded, they're usually more open, right? Totally. Do you, do, weren't you practicing at the VCA? You don't practice there anymore. Yeah, no, I was there for 12 years and I was doing mostly like integrative, you know, mm-hmm. care. So I started off as a conventional oncologist, finished in my residency in 2010. So practiced, I did, so I did internship in 2006, seven, and then seven to 10 was mm-hmm. residency all on the East coast. I'm from the East coast, born and raised, um, in Washington, DC area. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, um, and then I kind of like, I came out, I was like, I, I cannot deal with the snow and, and all right. of that. So said, what was the furthest place from Connecticut that could be warm? And I was like, oh, Southern California. That's the furthest. Yeah. <laughs> I literally just like had two cats at that time, just like moved me and the two cats out. And, um, and then started at VCA West LA. Like I was like, if I'm going to do it, I might as well go to the largest hospital west of the Mississippi. So let's do it. So I, I didn't started even know that was, the, that is the largest hospital west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's such a great facility. It's like a 40,000 square foot. Tremendous. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And it's like, there are so many doctors at this point that they're, they need a larger hospital. Really? Like that's what's crazy is like, they've outgrown it pretty quick. And so I joined there and I was doing mostly conventional, but even during my residency, there was always the conversation, like, just ask Trina about that herb, just ask Trina about this. And I just, I always liked it. And I was much more interested in the combination therapies and 
So even my mentor, I'd see him at like a cancer conference and he's like, Hey, did you hear about this new mushroom? That's, and I was like, how do you know about that? And he's like, well, you know, I started to see this do it. I was like, see, like the stuff's working, you know? And so then I started saying, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't doing enough for my patients. I mean, that was the big thing. Like, that's the story I think that. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like what, what, what was your inspiration in going from, you know, being a veterinary oncologist to more of an integrative approach? I'm always so curious. What is it? What's the trigger there for you? just wasn't enough. Like conventional yeah. medicine, medica- like I think in general, conventional medicine yeah. is limited. Like it just is. I think honestly, just like a holistic um, uh, pathway can also be somewhat limited. I think it's the integrative approach that provides, I think, the best chance. Um, and there's a balance to it. I mean, everything that I've learned in Chinese herbal medicine and with cannabis medicine and the endocannabinoid system and everything that I basically practiced in life with myself, right. with my family, with my three-year-old poor kid that takes way too many supplements <laughs> for a three-year-old, like it's all about balance. And I think that there's, when you find that balance, you're in the right rhythm, right? Like just keep going. And so I think too much of one can sometimes not be good. So, and I say this because I think there's some folks that might be listening that think like, I have my dog on 20 supplements, but no conventional. And then it's like, they're sick. They're not eating They're you know, and it's like, wait a second. Like we're not even balancing that approach. Like too much of anything isn't very good. And I think that it's the thought process of it's holistic. It's natural. It must be safe. It must be better. Well, that's always the case. I think there needs to be a balance with everything that we do. And I think you can balance holistic. I think you can even balance somewhat conventional but it's easier to balance conventional when you bring in some of the holistic stuff. And so from the oncology standpoint, it was easy to feel that because some of the things that we do on the conventional side, like chemotherapy, targeted therapy, immunotherapy, arts, radiation therapy, all of that stuff, which has potential to really help certain cancers significantly can go way too, like can be almost too aggressive sometimes. And you need the balance of things right. like cannabinoid medicine or Chinese herbal medicine or acupuncture or specific nutritional, you know, support that will help kind of balance some of the side effects that you get with mm-hmm. conventional. And when I was able to see that, like, it was like, I mean, I don't know, it's like a light switch just turned on my, in my head. And I was like, mm-hmm. holy crap, like I'm able to make these patients feel better while they undergo conventional therapy. Why are they stuck with these pharmaceuticals that might help with vomiting? But it didn't help because they actually had like spleen sheet deficiency. And all I had to do was help their spleen sheet. And oh my God, I, they, ne- they needed, they could get off of their serenia and they're on Danzatron or they were, mm-hmm. you know, like I think some of the yin deficient patients, like putting them under yin tonic, like with kidney, de- like kidney failure patients, like they're eating again because you were able to support their yin. I mean, Things that I didn't know if I believed as a Western practitioner for such a long right. time, I had to actually see it. And I was like, oh, my God, my toolbox now has gotten so much greater and I'm able to balance and, and look at a, a pet very holistically instead of mm-hmm. just this one vision of, oh, it's only Serenia or it's only this or it's only chemo or so. And, you know, I think the idea, I think from the Western side is that there's not enough research. There's not enough science to support some of the other alternative medicines. And it's absolutely not true. Like it's, I cannot, I cannot listen to it anymore. Like if you look at cannabis, which is, we'll talk a lot about, I'm sure yeah, my focus, jump into that. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you just look at CBD and THC by itself as just single compounds, there's over a hundred published 
like literature articles, and most of it's in vitro or in vivo, or sorry, in vitro or preclinical, looking at the anti-cancer effect of those two molecules. So show me that there is more than 100 publications on doxorubicin in dogs. Doesn't exist, right? Like, so I kind of am like, come on, guys. Like, I think there's lack of clinical research. So I need- Right. I was going to ask, who does the research? I mean, I think that from an in vitro and preclinical, it's usually going to be universities or out of the country that you'll see a lot of the studies done because it's in mouse models or it's in a Petri dish. And, you know, veterinary schools are starting to come up and saying, wait a second, we've done the research in Doxo. We've done the research on Unibial, right? When that started to, you know, come out, now there's actually publications on Unibial, right? A specific, you know, Chinese portfolio. So um, can we dive a little bit deeper into what what those what those things are? Yeah. And for me, because I'm not fully versed on what some of these medicines do and, and whatnot. Yeah. So. so doxorubicin is a very typical chemotherapeutic that we use for a variety of different cancers. And Unibial is a specific Chinese herb that a lot of folks are using for bleeding disorders or cancers that bleed. Uh, splenic hemangiosarcomas or any hemangiosarcoma or any of that. So those are, and those are just good examples because those are examples of what Western practitioners are starting to like. So obviously the chemo realm, doxorubicin has been used by Western, you know, oncologists forever and ever and ever. And then, and then now Yunin Bayao, which is a Chinese herbal medicine is starting to be utilized by Western practitioners because they're starting to see, Hey, wait a second. It actually helps dogs or even cats that have bleeding tumors, right? Or let's talk about, say, um, bladder cancer and say a dog. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? Sometimes what you see is bleeding, you know, they get bleeding in their urinary stream or something like that secondary, the tumor. So oftentimes they'll incorporate that or bleeding splenic tumors or nasal tumors that bleed. Sometimes you can even use it topically. Um, And so they're starting to become actual published research from the veterinary side saying, hey, wait a second, there actually might be anti-cancer effect, not just it's, it doesn't just look like it may stop bleeding, it may actually have anti-cancer effect for hemangiosarcoma, one of the tumors that create bleeding. And this was shown in a Petri dish study, right? So we need to start to do some of the studies in actual dogs with cancer, right? Because that's when we start to say, you know, you can, you can kill almost anything in a Petri dish, Right. When you use high enough levels of a compound. But when you can you can you actually is it a is it can you actually get it to the high enough level in vivo in the actual patient that has cancer where we can then start to have anti-tumor effect? Does that make sense what I just said? Yeah, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Now it's and since we're kind of we were talking about herbs, right? Correctly. Those are things that can be used in conjunction with um, Western medicine. Totally. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, when I first started off, there was this fear of like, what if it does, what if it prevents what I'm work, what I'm using, what I've learned for the last three years as an oncology resident, what if it prevents it from working? I don't want you using it. So what did we always say? Please stop everything that you're using holistically, because I, I, I know what I'm using works. Well, in a certain percentage of cases, okay? I know that in 50%, 60%, it's it's rarely 90 some percent of cases work with this conventional modalities, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you have a dog, everyone out there listening, when and, and we've all had patients or pets, I'm sorry, with cancer, like when we have a pet with cancer, we want to do everything in our power right. to slow down that cancer and give our pet the best quality of life. So if, if an oncologist says to you, and I've said this many a times, unfortunately, 
based off of the research, it looks like we may be talking about months. Okay. When we use those type of words, are you really just going to use conventional or are you going to try everything you can? I was okay? going to say, you get on, you, we all shouldn't do this, but you just start Googling. Like what, how can I help my dog? You know, what does this mean? Like, what are some other alternatives? What food should I be giving my dog? Like you start questioning all, all these things because you start panicking, you know? Of course um, we all do. We do it ourselves. We do it with our kids We do it, and our pet kids are no different. And so I, I guess what I would say right there to you, Charlotte, is, what do you, what could you do different than going to Dr. Google, right? right. And I think um, is finding practitioners that are comfortable with both modalities, right? Yes. Because when you go with just holistic, they say, look, talk to your conventional. When you right. go to your conventional, they say, look, I don't really know much about this. Can you go and talk to your other? And then you're stuck. And at the end of the day, what I what, what I do, and we'll talk a little bit about Green Isle and, and my service, um, but there are other, you know, practitioners out there that do and we're, if we're talking only about oncology, let's say here, um, there are got four of us in the country right now that are integrative oncologists, right? Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting, I think, about the four of us is we all have like a niche within that, right? Mm-hmm. So we do. We've all been trained in you know Western conventional oncology. We'll we'll say we've all are board certified. But then we also started to do more of an, you know, we're bringing kind of some of the East back in. And so we combine East and West. And so like I do cannabis mostly, obviously I'm trained and have a certification in Chinese herbal medicine. So I certainly do some of that as well. It's hard if I think it's a great case to incorporate Chinese herbs and we incorporate Chinese herbs if the research supports it. Then there's Kendra Pope in New Jersey who does a lot of, she does Chinese herbs, but she also does Western herbs and, you know, um, vitamins. So like vitamin C and Mm -hmm. she does mistletoe and she does other injectables that can be very strong antioxidants. And then there's Betsy Hershey. That's, I think she's in New Mexico. Um, She does a lot of like, um, like, oxygen therapy, like hyperbaric Mm -hmm. oxygen, right? And like ozone and that type of approach. So I don't do any of that, which is really great because she does some. And then there's um, Erin Bannock up in Michigan, and she does a lot of herbs. Like she's that, you know, herbs are Chinese herbs are her jam. And she's got a little apothecary and puts really cool herbal formulas together based off of science. And so well, you kind of get stuck if you're not living in those areas, right? What do you do? Right. Some of us do um, like teleconferencing. So we open it up for teleconference with Green Isle, which is my company. It's Green Isle. People can go to greenisle.org. And mm-hmm. we do like, I have another practitioner that's with me and I might actually be hiring another one as well. Um, we do mostly cannabis medicine consultations and it's really educational based. So depending on the condition your pet has, we talk about the research that supports maybe using it and what doses and which products might be safe. Because again, we just go into Google and you don't know what to do. So there's that. If it, and I think honestly, many of us do more tele, we do a lot of teleconferencing because I think you're stuck, right? Like we want to be able to help. And it stinks when you can't help because people live in Louisiana or wherever it may be. Right. I was going to ask, is is teleconferencing different than telehealth? I mean, you can't diagnose a pet via Zoom these days, right? Yeah. Yeah. So telehealth, exactly. So you'll notice I use that word and and that's an important uh, 
de- def- the, the definitions are different. So with telehealth, you diagnose, you treat, um, you prescribe, that's telehealth, right? right? And we can't legally do any of that. So what yeah. happens is when someone calls me and I'm having a conversation and they say, well, do you think my dog has kidney failure? I'd say, look, I can't, honestly, I can't legally make that distinction yeah. for you. But, you know, speak with your primary veterinarian based off of these values. I think it certainly might be suspicious, but I can't make that diagnosis. So speak with your primary care veterinarian. Oftentimes, a lot of these folks will have specialty vets already. They'll have an internist or they'll have someone else. So I can communicate with them freely. So oftentimes I can grab, you know, get on the phone with their vet and talk mm-hmm. about anything right. um, because there's no legal reason why I can't have a full conversation about diagnosis and so forth with their vet. So I think there's ways to go around it. But for me, it's, there's a lot you can do with education. Honestly, you can take it so far. And that's what I do is I try to stay within the legal bounds because I want to be able to help as many pet parents as I can, but educate as much as I can on what we know from the science, what we know from what's been published, evidence-based medicine. I've been using cannabis in practice for almost eight years now. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of cancer and cannabis, you know, using the combination of, you know, cannabis and Chinese herbs and so forth. Some only that and no conventional and many of them with an integrative approach using both. But I've also treated many, many dogs with seizures in cannabis Mm -hmm. and painful disorders in cannabis and anxiety. Anxiety is a tough one, right? Anxiety in cannabis. And so um, I've talked to owners, pet parents about all of it, right? And talk to them about the education. So when you're treating um, a dog using cannabis, is it more of um, quality for treating the quality of life issue? Or are you actually targeting um, whatever is going on? And what would some of those things be? Like, can it actually help, help uh, kill cancer? I think it depends on the cancer. I think it depends on the cancer. So yes, there's, this is where I'm talking about like hundreds, like there are tons of publications specifically looking at how certain cannabinoids. So cannabinoids are the compounds found in the cannabis plant, right? So you hear, I'll do a little terminology just for the pet. Yeah, I know nothing. So yeah. Yeah. No, 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 (laughs) please. This is like my jam, right? I love it. So I'll be talking to you for hours about this. So, so the cannabis plant, when people talk about cannabis, you, you really have to ask them, are they talking about hemp-derived or marijuana-derived? Mm. Or I like to use the word high-THC cannabis or a low-THC cannabis. And that's how you differentiate it. They're both under, they're just varieties of the exact same plant, genus and species, cannabis sativa. And they broke, they're, they're essentially divided into hemp-derived or hemp plants or industrial hemp. There are lots of ways people use that terminology, low-THC or high-THC or marijuana-derived. Right. They're, they're the same thing. So right. people say, oh, no, cannabis is better. Well, what does cannabis mean? It just Are you talking about marijuana? Are you talking about hemp, right? Like being able to differentiate that is important, okay? Right. But truly the same compound. So in that plant, regardless if it's hemp or marijuana, okay? Just let's say that again. Regardless if it's hemp or marijuana, only difference between those, the only difference is just the legal amounts of THC. That's it. it, okay? okay. So legally... You can have less than or equal to less than 0.3% THC in a hemp derived product. Okay. And okay? a marijuana, you can have, it, it can be at that point, it has to be greater than 0.3% THC. That's it. So, in the briefly, in the, you know, commercially available products that we see now, is that a for pets? Um, all hemp. It's all, it's all hemp. Yeah. Because it has to be. It can, you could, unless you're going into a dispensary, 
California or Massachusetts. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's lots of states actually that have, you know, medical yeah. um, marijuana, right? Like there are, and there's a lot, and honestly, Michigan, I mean, there's a lot that are stepping up that are doing more rec as well, or recreational or adult mm-hmm. use. There's different mm-hmm. terminologies for it. In those cases, you can go, but they don't have a legal category for for marijuana derived products for pets. So when you walk in, guess what? They all, they're all human. And some in California, some companies have used the word vet or have used the word, you know, pause or use something in their marketing to get under it. And so when a pet parent walks in, they say, Hey, that one says vet, is it veteran or is it pet vet? You know what I mean? Like, and then the bud tender, right? The person that stands behind the counter will say, oh, actually it's really for pets. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. let's talk about it. And those products not nece- are not necessarily any better. If right. in my opinion, some of those products are actually a lot worse than the human products that are in those dispensaries, but the pet parent at least can feel maybe safe using that product right. versus having to negotiate which one is going to be my best in the hundreds of the cannabis or you know high THC cannabis products that are in this dispensary. Right. That's where we at Green Isle can say, actually, there's a really good human product there and it has more THC and actually much more CBG and more of this or more of that. And we'll talk a little bit about what those are um, in the human product than in the pet line products. Or this pet line product is actually way better than the other ones, right? We can help help the pet parent kind of figure out or guide them as to which one's better. But for that... Let's talk about the pet parent in the United States that yeah. doesn't have a dispensary near them. Yeah. You're you're oftentimes better going and getting a hemp derived product, right? Because you know there's a few things that we'll talk a little bit about about how to find maybe the a good hemp derived product because there's hundreds of them out there. Those are all under 0.3%, either equal or under 0.3% THC, which then they are legal. And they can therefore be shipped to you and you can ca- you can call the customer service and say, hey, my bottle broke. Can you send me another one? You can, you know, they ship to almost all states. There's maybe one or two states where they're a little funny about it. But for the most part, they ship to everywhere. Got it. Do you want to talk more about Green Nile? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's I mean, I can talk a little bit about Green Nile just so people know who we are and what you can find us at greenisle.org. And, you know, we were established in 2019. Um, So just recently, and I think it all had to wait until the 2018 Farm Bill. Okay. So that 2018 Farm Bill is what is allowing these hemp derived products to be legally everywhere. Okay. Um, And and without that, there was no publications in veterinary medicine. So when you look back, okay, there's probably almost a combined... 20 some almost up to 30 publications in veterinary medicine looking at cannabis mm-hmm. right and these are safety studies pharmacokinetic studies how does the body react and how does it you know eliminate cbd and other cannabinoids um the clinical efficacy of cannabis um specifically for seizures and arthritis and anxiety and horses and in right. cats and in dogs all of these studies guys have been published um, but n- they have not been published until after 2018 because veterinary schools are now getting some of them like Colorado right. and Florida, Cornell, some of these schools and others. There are others. Uh, Purdue was actually, uh, you know, played a role and did a, a study. I mean, there's a- other vet schools in Canada. Guelph did a study. So there's other vet schools that are starting to pop up that 
companies are reaching out to them and saying, hey, can you run a clinical trial for me? And now it's federally legal for these vet schools to carry hemp-derived products so we can administer, you know, so now these schools are able, within a study, being able to, you know, use certain amounts of it and then actually, you know, relay those results to the public so we know, is it safe? Is it this? So it's really helped us as practitioners and as veterinarians and as pet parents out there to say, hey, hemp is actually pretty safe. CBD seems to be really, really safe. Um, And there's some other studies looking at actually marijuana type derived stuff. And they're usually outside the country. So so Canada's done a few more marijuana high THC studies and uh, the UK has done some and uh, Italy has done. So the high THC stuff, usually outside of the States, but a lot of the hemp derived is within the States. So I'll say that. I mean, that's very important. So we then got a, we established in 2000, Green Isle has been established since 2019, where we realized that pet parents are like, what the heck is happening? It's like the green rush, right? I'm like going into the grocery store and there's hemp yeah, products. Everywhere. I'm at the gas station. I go to my kids, like, you know, whatever, like event outside a bake sale. And there's someone there selling their hemp yeah. products. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Is there some, is there a one that's safe? There's not, not, how do I use it? My veterinarian is afraid to talk about it because that's a lot of the problem too, is veterinarians are inundated by so much right now that they, number one, are struggling to have the time to actually learn about it because no, no vet has learned about cannabis I in vet school. I was going to say, they just don't know. No, just, they just don't have the information, right? They don't have the information. It's not yeah. their fault. Like, it's like saying, you know, I mean, it's really unfair because I think some pet parents get angry at their vet. And I'm like, wait a second, they didn't learn about it. Like, and they're so exhausted by the number of cases. There's not enough staff. There's a lot of things happening in veterinary yeah. medicine that is a lot of stress. And so I do, you know, I say like, give the vet a little bit of a break because there's a lot happening. So number one, the knowledge is not as high, right? So there's that aspect of things for vets. And the second is, is that they're terrified to lose their license because a lot of these veterinary medical boards have been saying like, don't stay, don't say a thing to pet parents. Well, that's really not fair. And we, you know, we, you know, like there are some vets in California and myself, we've been probably going to the veterinary medical board meeting since like 2017, 2018, fighting and saying, hey guys, like vets or pet parents are asking us every single day about this. We cannot keep our mouth shut. Like they are picking up products that are unsafe. And if we don't say anything, these pets are going to be hurt and they may even die. And we took oath to protect our patients. So we have to do something about this. And so there's been a few bills in California, you know, 2215 got passed in 2018. And, you know, in starting in January 2019, vets were able to discuss cannabis. And this is, we're talking about high THC cannabis here. Um, but then there was no idea what vets could do with hemp derived. So there was like this confusion, right? It was just a mess. And so now in California, at this current time, vets are able to legally discuss, recommend, administer, dispense hemp derived cannabis. That's a big yeah. deal. Okay. And then they are also legally able to discuss high THC or marijuana derived cannabis. There is a bill right now going through you know, the Senate. And if it gets, if it gets signed, which needs to get signed by the end of next month by the governor, we're going to be able, veterinarians in California will be able to recommend marijuana derived cannabis. That's a big deal. deal. So then I assume that that will pique the interest of 
of veterinarians to want to learn more because now they don't feel like they're going to do something wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And I think so we established some of the a good friend of mine, a veterinarian, Gary Richter, up in Northern California, we've been kind of fighting this fight for several years. Um, we got so frustrated with what was happening with the veterinary medical board and how vets were just so confused that we established the first ever in the US um, based 501c3 nonprofit called Veterinary Cannabis mm-hmm. Society. And that is where we have come up with, you know, education and advocacy and really working on promoting product standards. So we get the companies that are doing the right thing to be like highlighted and say, hey, we are actually testing our products in third party. We're actually making sure that there's no microbials or, you know, residual solvents or heavy metals. We're making sure these products are safe for pets to use chronically if needed. They're running studies, some of these companies. Like we want to support the companies that are doing the right thing. We want to partner the with those companies, but we also want to partner with the veterinary community and we want vets and technicians and reception and everyone to feel comfortable to talk about it. So we put together a significant amount of education and a library with probably over a thousand at this point, you know, cannabis related articles. So people can just go and search for them. We have an entire, you know, library for pet parents where there's podcasts. Is it it just for veterinarians or is it somewhere where somebody sees it? There's an entire section just for pod that just has podcasts and written material and lectures for pet parents that want to learn. We are, because we're nonprofit, none of us are getting paid. We are doing this like I mean, it was it was a joke. We were like in the m- busiest time in our life, we start a nonprofit, right? right? But it was, it, we all felt in our heart it needed to happen, and so we can get vets and pet parents to all we all work together and feel supported in this space. And so we ask all pet parents listening, go and join. Feel if you want to donate, donate is going to go to education. It's going to go to advocacy efforts, so we can fight the fight and make sure that pets are being you know, treated like a family member and they deserve to have safe products for themselves because it's incredible to see the impact of what cannabis can do for pets' lives. And if you want, I'll jump right into what what do I see? Briefly, I wanted to ask you what you were talking about finding safe products. What are some of the mistakes you think that people make, pet parents make when they're looking for, when someone says you should go get a cannabis product? What do you think some of the mistakes that they're making are? Hi, that's my dog Chance. He normally does. <laughs> he normally doesn't visit us. He's fourteen, but he's he's jumping in to say hi. I guess I don't know. Something bugging you? Hi, Chance. Are you hoping she can help You're you? You're very handsome. He's very handsome. This is like because I do so much teleconferencing. I only I only go in a clinic maybe once a month now <laughs> on the Saturday. Like I don't get to see pets, so it's just like it's at my own, you know. So it's like I just get stuck, and I'm like, look at you. I want to hug. Normally you. he's just sleeping during all of these things, but he's clearly needs something. I hope you don't need to go out. Maybe he's just interested in the. He might be talk. actually. That's we, what we it did, is. We are actually we are thinking about that for him. So the first thing I would say is like you need to make sure it's a reputable company that is transparent that tells you what's inside of the product. Well, how do you know what's inside of the product? This is what I do during my Green Isle consultation is I actually share my screen. So a lot of the consultations I do are 
or Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so I share my screen and I say, do you want to know what I'm looking at? Let's look at the product that you have at your house. I'm going to go to the website and I'm going to share with you what I do when I can tell you what's inside your product. So I oftentimes will go to the website and I'll look for something called a certificate of analysis or COA. Sometimes it's listed as a lab report or lab testing report or lab testing results. I mean, they will say something like that. And oftentimes you you just click on that link and it will take you to what is actually inside that product. You look at the batch number and make sure it matches the batch number that's on your actual carton or bottle or whatever it may be. Because if you find that the batch numbers from 2016 that they have on their website and you have a 2022 product, it's you're going to call them and say, hey, my batch number doesn't match what you have. Could you share it with? Oh, we haven't done it for four years. Well, maybe that's not the product you want to use because you don't know if they're getting it from a different source. You don't know. So, OK. So when I say all of that, you're going to look at your batch number. You're going to compare it. Some companies actually allow you to just plug in your batch number and then the certificate of analysis pops up on yours. Right. And then you it pops up and then you look for a few things. One is going to be potency. When I say potency, yeah. how much CBD or THC or CBG or CBC, all these three letter, you know, acronyms are basically uh, what they what they really mean is the cannabinoids that are in there. So cannabinoids are things like CBD and THC and CBC. Those are chemical compounds that are found in the cannabis plant. And I say the cannabis plant, I'm talking about hemp and marijuana, putting them all together to make it easy, okay? Um, And we know at this time, there's at least 150 of them. And what do most people talk about? CBD, CBD, CBD. Well, guess what? CBD is only one. So what are the difference between all the... Yeah, there's big differences. And if you look at them, so I'll tell you a fascinating, a relay, what I, what I, it's like I nerd out on this type of yeah. stuff. So, so when you look at CBD and THC and you don't have names under them and you look at them on a screen, yeah. meaning they're chemical compounds, they're what they look like chemically, right? Mm-hmm. Their structure, their chemical structure, they're almost identical. Interesting. There's only one little difference. There's a hydroxyl group on one or an open, you know, hydroxyl group. There's a not one, it's closed on the other. That's the only difference. But if you look at their chemical structure, what they look like, and you look at their their weights, the weights of them, they're mm. almost identical, hmm. but they're so different in what they do physiologically in your body and pharmacologically, right? Like we know that CBD does not bind strongly to the CB1 re- receptors in an agonist fashion. What does that mean? What I just said yeah. at all? <laughs> it means that we have these receptors in our brain, okay? And these receptors that we have lots of, dogs actually have way more of these receptors in their brain than humans have, okay? okay. Interesting fact, this THC compound floats around in our bloodstream and then through our central nervous, through the blood-brain barrier into our brain and binds to those CB1 receptors. And it creates that euphoric feeling, that high effect that people talk about, okay? Mm -hmm. CBD floats, 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 but doesn't have the ability to bind as strongly and actually works as what they call an antagonist. So it doesn't promote it. It actually can block some of that high effect. Got it. Okay, same, they look the same. They have the same weights, chemical weights, right? Molecular weights. Look at the drastically different of what they do physiologically in the body. So CBD actually doesn't even work on those cannabinoid type receptors. Very little work does it do on that. All of its heavy lifting 
is on the 65 other discrete targets that they have, other receptors that they have in the body. Okay. Anti-inflammatory receptors, GPR-55. I'm going to start naming random things. That <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> PD, right? Uh, PPAR. I'm just saying yeah. things that make me sound smart, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I always tell parents, just like ignore that stuff. Yeah. I'm just wanting you to know that I am a nerd and sit here at, I could show you my whiteboard. I did this until midnight last night, looking at certain receptors and which affinities cannabinoids have to those receptors. To me, I'm an oncologist nerd, right? So I can't, if I'm leaving oncology for a moment and not doing chemo, I got to then pull out and start doing that Mm -hmm. type of brain thinking. And the reason I do that is I want to know when you ask me, can I use CBD for seizures? I want to say to you, well, if you look at the molecular pathways of why you should use it, I'd say, actually, it's a very smart decision. Did you know that it works on trip V and GPR 55? The owner says, I don't know what you're talking about. Can I just use it for seizures? Yeah. And I think you can. And that's why, because it can work on this receptor and this receptor, and it works on VDA, it works on this and that. Therefore, we know based off of mouse models that it works on this receptor system. And this is actually an anticonvulsant receptor mm-hmm. system. THC can, interestingly, also reduce seizures working on those cannabinoid receptor systems, okay? And then we will wait really quick. There's actually a publication looking at dogs that have seizures. Right. That aren't anticonvulsants. Right. And CBD dominant formulation was used and it reduced seizures in dogs that had refractory seizures. So now I have a complete package to explain to you this compound or compounds could work. But where do you find it? How do you find a safe one? So let me help guide you. And if you don't have me to guide you, or you don't have Green Isle to guide you, then how do you figure it out? You start looking it up yourself. You start calling companies and saying, hey, I just listened to Dr. Trina Hazard talk about seizures and CBD. How much CBD do you have? It looks like in this publication in dogs, in living dogs with seizures, they used two and a half milligrams per kilogram twice a day. My dog is 25 kilograms, Mm -hmm. let's call it. Okay. So that's, I need maybe over 50 milligrams of CBD to get that effect. Oh, yours only has five milligrams. I can't do that. That's not enough. Do do you see where I'm going with this? So you look at some of the publications and you have me and the rest of the Green Isle team to help, but there's, you know, I understand that's not always possible for everybody. So Look at the research, call these companies, have conversations. If you're getting, you're getting a little bit of like pushback. Oh, well, our product's better, but I can't show you what's inside. Mm -hmm. Oh no. Walk the other direction. I want to know what's inside your product. Know how often you test it for safety. I want to know if you're, you know, if you're partners with someone like Veterinary Cannabis Society at it's the website is vcs.pet. You know, are, are, are you partners with a reputable organization? Are you trying to do the right thing? Meaning, are you trying to make medicine for pets or are you just trying to make money? I mean, you get a pretty good sense, a gut sense, right? A pet parent, right? you know, mother, father, gut yeah. sense is, you know, am I, am I going down a road that doesn't feel safe? Right. 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 Ask your veterinarian to right. do a little research for you too and say, like, do you have a moment to tell me I'm between these two companies? And if your veterinarian isn't cannabis knowledgeable yet, maybe they'll join VCS, become cannabis knowledgeable, or they'll call their friend. I have text messages many times during the day from friends saying, hey, I'm working right now and the owner wants to know about this or that. Right. How can you help? And I can support the vet 
being able to support you, right. right? So, and it's not just me. There's other folks out there that are cannabis knowledgeable that can support. Right. So circling back to... Um you were essentially saying that the dosing is incredibly important, obviously. And I think it is. And, yeah. And my other question is, so the dosing of the cannabis is important. And is there different types? Like if, let's say you have a seizure, or is there a different type of cannabis that's good for seizures versus a type of cannabis that's good for cancer or, and how do you know? The answer is yes. Okay. I a hundred percent believe in my heart and soul and based off of, and this is all based off of my clinical experience and based off of research, okay. tons and tons of studies I've read that a hundred percent there are, you should find products that are suited for your pet's condition. Right. Don't just use, like, I get this all the time. Like this, the one that's working well for my dog's anxiety, I'm using for my dog's seizures. Can it work? Yeah. Maybe it could. It's not impossible because sometimes the same cannabinoids, remember we talked about cannabinoids mm -hmm. are the same cannabinoids can overlap with conditions, okay? Right. But there are other compounds found in the cannabis plant like terpenes or terpenoids. What does that even mean? Yeah. It means essential oils. Let's just oh. use the word essential oils. Okay. There are essential oils that are found in cannabis that actually augment the effect of that particular type, that particular product. Okay. So you can have, I'll explain it, make it really easy, yeah. but really, kind of, I think, helpful for everyone that's listening, is you can have a product that has five milligrams of CBD over here. You can have another one over there that has five milligrams of CBD. Let's call it product A and product B. They both have five milligrams of CBD. But this one has a particular terpene called limonene. Okay. Okay. This product A. Product B has a particular terpene called mercy. Okay. And let me, you give this one to your dog and you're like, oh my God, my dog is his joints feel a little bit better because we know CBD has anti-inflammatory. Right. So is giving him a little bit of energy. It's almost like you gave him a little shot of coffee. Like he's wanted to go for his walk. He's playing with this toy he hasn't played with in a long time. Okay. Now, two days pass, four days pass, whatever it is. Same dog gets five milligrams of CBD, but now with mercy, no limonene. Same exact thing. Okay. okay? My dog just finished his walk. You gave him this, it seems like his joints are feeling pretty good, but he is like so tired. He hasn't yeah. slept like this in a while. Yeah. I am so thankful. He actually slept through the night. He's not restless in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. He actually got a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, he had some linalool, which, oh, this linalool is another terpene that comes from lavender. Oh, okay. Okay. Myrcene actually comes from, um, actually found in mango and like, really, really ripe mango, you can get a lot of mercy and it can actually create a little sedation, a little sleepiness. So do you see how it's not just the cannabinoid CBD right. or THC that's dictating the response? It's also going to be these other compounds like terpenes and flavonoids, which are, you know, phytochemicals that create the color of the plant that actually have physiologic and pharmacologic effect. So these compounds mix together. It's like making us chicken soup. I'm putting a little chicken. I'm putting a little bit of celery. Yeah. I'm putting, but if I don't put any onion, your soup is going to taste quite different than if you did put garlic and onion, yeah. right? Like it's that effect will be different depending on. So, so you as the pet parent, how do you know which is going to be the best one? Cause it's really unfair for you to go through cannabis college and learn all these yeah. things <laughs> um, is you try to use reputable companies that have products that are 
that say without making a claim because they legally hemp derived products cannot make a claim unless they're FDA approved okay. products. They cannot make claims. You're going to have to read be- between the lines. So if it says this, uh, so this supports, you know, uh, neurologic, it's give, it provides neurologic support. Right. It may help with, you know, uh, supports tremors or, and, and, you know, you, you see these kind of in between read in between the lines to tell you that it might be more for anti you call the company you say hey between the lines it sounds like this one might be good for seizures is that true yes okay who made it mm-hmm. you know is he a scientist no, no. Yeah. Uh, okay well and then i call the next company it looks like you have this one who does makes it a, oh it's a veterinarian Ah, I feel a little bit more comfortable it's not a veterinarian but it's a pharmacologist it's a scientist with a you know, that has a science background that does formulation work for years and years. You go to their website. Before you even call them, you go to your website, you say, who are these people? Or is it all just, you know, venture capitalists making a company and they're just figuring it out? Or did they get the right team together that have the knowledge to put together products, right? So I don't know if that helps kind of guide pet parents, but I really want you to know, pick the product that fits your pet's condition, and find the team yeah. within the company that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. Do your research. Yeah. Do your research. And then, Charlotte, I do want to say something about your question about cancer, because you did ask a really good question is, does cannabis kill or just make yeah. quality of life? Right. Yeah. I do want to answer that because I think that some parents would want to know that. Um, and it's a really, really good question I get all the time. Um, and the answer is yes. There's all these publications that show that a variety of different cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids have all shown to actually kill cancer cells. And it does it lots of mechanisms that I can go into, but nobody cares that's listening right now in the mechanism (laughs) perspective. But just so you know, there are lots of mechanisms. But just know there are actually anti-tumor mechanisms. And I'll speak actually, one of the cases I like to talk about that will really, I think, resonate with some pet parents. Yeah, we love a story of or of a, an yeah. anecdote of some of a success story. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give my, I'll give you uh, two very quick stories, but one will support each of your questions. Okay. Like, so one from the anti-cancer perspective is a little dog. I talk about this guy a lot because I think that he impacted my decision to really go full force into cannabis medicine. Okay. Is a, it's a little. Uh, he was a little uh, Jack Russell named Hammer that came to me as an oncologist. As I was doing integrative oncology at BCA West LA at that time, he had three different cancers and he got some surgery and he was put on a, um, on um, a targeted therapy and um, some steroids, prednisone for a little bit, went off the prednisone, stayed on the targeted therapy and cannabis. Okay. okay. No, no, I'm sorry. no cannabis, no cannabis, okay. just that just targeted therapy. Cancers were in check for a while, and then he came back six months later, and the cancer that was in his mouth was so big that it had taken mm-hmm. up his entire left side of his mm-hmm. face, and he couldn't open up his eye anymore, okay? And he was in a lot of pain, and so they said to me, can we try cannabis? And this was during the time where it was very difficult for me to really talk about it, And but you know what? I had done the research, and I said, you know what? If you want to try, I'll support you. Yeah. And so we started talking about which one they were going to use. They go ahead and started a product. And then two weeks later, they call me and they're like, hey, he's able to open his eye a little bit better. And I'm thinking, is it just that I'm helping his pain or am I actually right. having a tumor, right? Then I said, you know, then, he, then they came to see me about a month and a half or so later. I don't remember the timing, a few months later. And he came in 
and his face was completely normal. Wow. And I opened up his mouth and I could hardly see any cancer, right? Like it wasn't like he had started, you know, five other chemos and radiate. He got nothing else. He was on his targeted therapy. I just added in cannabis mm-hmm. or they added it and I supported them, right. right? Like it was, that was it. And I said, okay. Like I loved all of this. And now you like hammer just like inspired me to be a better doctor. Right. Like I was like, holy moly. So, so, you know, what was really interesting about how it happened is, I mean, it got smaller, but it was gone. And he like lived the best life. I mean, he had great quality. He was happy. His other tumors were in check. Like, wow. Did it it affect the other tumors or it just, he had one was an indolent lymphoma, which the prednisone, I think, took care of, and we were just kind of watching. And then the other one was bladder cancer, mm. and it was there, but it hadn't gotten any bigger. Right. So, I mean, right. it was it didn't go away, but like the oral tumor did. Yeah. But perhaps because he was giving it orally, maybe that there was a you know a local response yeah. mm-hmm. as well as a systemic. Um, so, you know, he did really well for quite a while, and then the owners, like, oh my god, it just like makes me so sad. The owners didn't forgot to refill it on time. And so they ended up stopping it and they called me like a week, a week and a half or so. And they're like, you know, we stopped and I was like, oh my God, you need to go back to it. And they reordered it. But the, by then it was like about two weeks, mm-hmm. only two weeks since start, stop, since stopping it. And the cancer had come back so quickly mm-hmm. and it was coming like within like days. And then I, they got it. They restarted it. I said, just double the dose. Like mm-hmm. you got to try to it catch up yeah. and they didn't shrink it. Interesting. And this is what I hear in human with human physicians. Like I have this conversation with human physicians sometimes and they're like, once you kind of lose control or you reduce the dose too much, it's hard to kind of get your, your, your kind of your grounding, like get grounding back. And is it because they've built up some sort of resistance to it or no, I, I think, don't so. Know. I think yeah. so. No, I think so. I think that a lot of these cannabinoids are working on receptor systems. And I uh, think that yeah. the cancer just gets so smart, just like it works almost kind of in a way like targeted therapy, it yeah. binds and it inhibits. And then the cancer gets so smart and finds other ways around and has resistant mechanisms. So right. that was, you know, a really, really inspiring, but like sad case. Cause I wonder how long he would have gone with yeah. it, but I think it teaches us all, as I mm-hmm. tell this story, the impact and the potential of a plant like this. Absolutely. Like cannabis, and it did prolong know. his quality of life a, a bit. Yeah. In yeah. unbelievable. Like you should see the pictures. Like I was getting like pizza and running at the beach and he could see out of both eyes perfectly. And I mean, literally like you could just cry looking at this, you know, and, and then do I have, do you want me to tell one more story? Yeah. We love stories. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next story was actually my cat. Okay. okay yeah. So I have, I had a cat named Mr. Bean. He <laughs> had, a, yeah, he's so freaking cute. Um, he was uh, found in Connecticut blind circling the streets of Connecticut. Oh and I was told, and I think this will resonate with a lot of pet parents is I had a very old dog who was my absolute best friend, yeah. a Labrador. And his name was Otis. And uh, he was on his way out. He was 15 years old. And I was working as a resident and I was working, you know, very long hours. And so I needed a friend for him. Yeah, I couldn't get a dog, another dog, because it wasn't home enough. So I went to the shelter. There was 200 cats. I walked through all of them and was leaving because I couldn't find the perfect cat. After 200 cats, I go into the office and I say, guys, I can't find anyone. And I see this cat circling and looking blind. And I say, what's wrong with this guy? And he was, he was shrunken. He had a, 
a, a storage, uh, a kinetic, a kinetic uh, congenital disorder. Okay. Okay. He was born with a congenital disorder, um, mucopolysaccharide storage disorder. So they say, I say, what's wrong with this guy? And they say, we don't know. We found him, but the neurologist we took him to said he's only going to live for six months. And I said, perfect. I don't think my dog is going to live for more than six months. They'll have each other. And then I don't have the responsibility, like, because I'm working so much. He sounds like he's the perfect cat. Well, he becomes literally best friends with my dog. I mean, he, they said he took six months to come out of the closet at the shelter yeah. and he's living in the office with the folks. They said they, they told me to put him in my closet the first night because he's not going to likely come out. And at three in the morning, we feel a little like monster climb on our bed and he cuddles with my dog the first night. Aww. And we knew it was like love at first sight. And like, your dog was okay with it? He was all for it? or Oh, my God. He was perfect. He was like, I have my little homie. You know, like he's got his little friend. And they were like together right. until the end of my dog's life. Uh, and then, of course, the cat was like hysterically like, you know, howling and crying without his friend. So I had to get him a friend. And that was another cat. So the long story short doesn't really matter. <laughs> I still have that other cat. But well, let me tell you about Mr. Bean. I wanted to bring that up because I think everyone's lived that 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 experience mm-hmm. with pets, right? So um, so Mr. Bean, he didn't die after six months. Nope. He kept going. Yeah. And I brought him all the way to California 10 years later. Oh, 10 my God. Later, how He's, old was he? He was 10 or 11 at oh this point. Because I think he was only like a year oh, when I got baby. him. So yeah. Yeah, he was a baby. So he's 10 years, 10 and a half, 11 years later. He's like, you know, he's or he's with me. And I'm realizing he's not breathing well. Mm. And just like every veterinarian, we are in, veterinarians, by the way, are in complete denial. Yeah. Just so I put that out there, everybody. Like we are in denial, just like everyone else is. So we're like, he's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Eventually, he really isn't breathing well. And I bring him into the hospital. And I take x-rays and he's got a tumor that's taking up probably like 90% of his chest. It's like hearts being pushed aside. I mean, this poor kitty. And I'd always said, because he had a limited time that I wasn't going to put him through chemo or any of that stuff. Like I promised him. He also hated the vet hospital. He was in an oxygen tank because he was so nervous on top of this tumor. So I brought him home, you know, the vet, which was me and someone else, an internist said like, Let's put him, let's, he either had lymphoma or thymoma based off of some cytology results. Let's put him on prednisone and give him a little bit of quality of time. Put him on prednisone. Totally made sense to me from the conventional side of my brain. Yeah. And he actually got worse. Oh. He was like urinating everywhere, like almost like a dog would with prednisone. Like because he of the was, side effects or was side effects of steroids, yeah. side effects of the tumor. He couldn't breathe. It wasn't helping him breathe. It was just really bad. And I thought, and I said, okay, Trina, listen, you've been doing cannabis medicine for a while. Let's put on your cannabis doctor hat, not your pet parent hat for a moment, which is very hard for veterinarians I'm to sure, do. Yeah. And let's create a formulation with all of the different compounds that should and should be able to help them. So I put compounds together that could cause bronchodilation, meaning open up the bronchioles and allow them to breathe. I put together anti-inflammatory compounds. I put together anti-cancer compounds. Anything that could come from the cannabis plant, it was like an apothecary, if you will. And there was a company here in in California called Right Ratio who does custom cannabis. Have you heard of them? I I I think I have. Yeah. So they do a lot of custom cannabis. And so I contacted them and said, look, could you help me? I want to do this. They made the product for my kitty. And like, 
I mean, I can't even tell. Like, again, it was like, I was, you know, I'm a believer, obviously. Yeah. I've seen it in my patients, but to see it in my own cat, yeah. like he was what we call lateral recumbent. He was laying on his side, could hardly breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like I was having about to make the decision. And then every day there was an improvement. Like he started to get up and play with the dog. He loves dogs, clearly. So (laughs) we have a dog named Stanley and he was playing with Stanley again. And I was like, what the heck? Like he'd bat with him and run with them. And I'm like, run, you were just on your side. Then he started running up and down the stairs. And I was like, run up and down the stairs. And like your whole life, I've never seen you run up and down the stairs. He had the munchies, like, because there was a good (laughs) amount of THC in that product. Uh Because I needed to open up bronchioles and THC to help with that. He was eating the dog's food, the other cat's food. He was eating our food. (laughs) He was eating everything in sight. And he just kept going and kept going. And and I was like, this is nuts. Like, he, it was as if he didn't have cancer. But it was also as if he didn't even have this storage distance. Do you know what I mean? Like, his genes were better. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was literally like magic. Like, people would come over and say, like, what's up with Bean? Like, what? He's like running circles. He's, you know. And so... Six months go by, Uh six months. There's no way I could have gotten that with prednisone or even probably radiation. Honestly, none of that chemo, no way. Well, six months go by one day he goes blind. And I called Dr. Marcioni, who, you know, very mm -hmm. well, um, the ophthalmologist. And I'm like crying and I'm like crying to come over like, and just look at him. Like, I don't know if it's his eyes it's cancer, but I don't think it's his cancer. Like he's, th- he's otherwise like perfect. And so he looked at him and he said, you know, I think it's his mucopo- storage disease. One of the things that happens is he gets cloudy cornea, so they can't see. Aww. So for at least a few years, I had been going to Dr. Brian Marciani yeah. already. And he'd been saying like, Trina, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Well, the cannabis wasn't going to change that. And I think the cloud had just gotten to a point where he couldn't see anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so he, you know, he was still, I mean, the night I put him to sleep, he ate like an entire like big man's meal. Of food. Like, <laughs> I gave him anything he wanted to eat. And then yeah. all the animals said goodbye to him. And mm-hmm. then we said goodbye and he went very peacefully. And, um, but that's the quality of life right. possible anti-cancer effect story that I want to tell you, because that kind of covered both sides yeah. for you that it, cannabis could do both. And, and I see it in practice every day right. that it can absolutely do both. Right. I feel like I could just keep talking to you for like hours. There's so much that I want to know, but maybe we'll have you back on to chat again. I would love There's it. There's so I much I want to know. Yeah. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to come back and chat again. Thanks you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Baru podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate us and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Baru Pet. Let's chat next week.